the big names you know, the other guys you've never heard of, until now. This is Around the Nest, Jay talking around the Blue Jays minor league system. Hello and welcome in. Time for Around the Nest. I'm Jesse Goldberg's Jasser with the Lansing Lugnuts. We'll talk with Jim Tarabokia with the Dunedin Blue Jays. Adam Jackson with my Lugnuts will give you the lowdown from the Midwest League. From AA New Hampshire, we'll have Tyler Zickel join us. And from the AAA Buffalo Bisons, we'll hear from Pat Malacaro. We begin in the Florida State League, and we begin with Jim Tarabokia as we talk about some DJs. Jim, how are you? Hey, Jesse. How's it going, buddy? going well. There was a question that was sent in last week by the minor leaguer that we didn't get to, but I want to start off with with you here, and that is this is not a normal season for your DJs because of the renovations. So how have things gone in your ballpark home away from home? Good question. Yeah. First of all, I think what our team, I talked with Cesar about this. Um, I brought up the point. I think what our team is doing with our record right now uh, 19 and 13. Uh, I know we have a lot of talent on this team. Um, tied for the third best winning percentage right now in the league. Um, and um, to the two teams ahead of us, Fort Myers and Bradenton. Um, we won a series against Bradenton earlier in the year. Um, two games, uh, actually, excuse me, one game on the road and one game at home in sort of a split series. And we took uh, two of four from Fort Myers. What we're doing right now, uh, it's pretty great, and, and I think it's um, it shows the character of our team and, and how these guys just aren't bothered by a thing at, at all. I mean, we're in a pretty tough situation, and the way we've handled this uh, this entire season, from the coaching staff down, um, has been uh, fabulous. And it, it, certainly, it's not easy. Um, you know, obviously, I'm on the road a lot. Um, doing a lot of road games and more than, you know, because we have more road games than home games. So, um, and then try and then having to bus over to Jack Russell Memorial stadium and, and play at that ballpark or grounds crew is just is doing a phenomenal job getting it ready every day. But um, I mean, they're, they're sort of putting lipstick on a pig, if you will. I mean, you know, with that field, let's be honest about it. They're doing a great job doing the best they can. And so is our team. And so is our, everybody involved in this. So, um, you know, our guy, it hasn't been easy behind, you know, at times behind the scenes, but um, the guys have made it look like it's been easy with the way they've played. And it really, um, on, it really hasn't seemingly bothered them at all. And, and, and Cesar said this in the beginning of the year. He talked about how I, I told the guys, look, we're going to have a lot of road games. Be ready for it. Be prepared for it. Take one game at a time and we should be okay. And that's exactly uh, how we've been thus far here in 2019. Are there specific players on the team that you can point to and say, this guy has been a clubhouse leader? Mm. Um, I, no, I, I really don't think so. I, I, you know, um, I think they just gel all their personalities, uh, gel well together. Um, so I don't really see a clubhouse leader um, per se that, that, that holds that, that title, but uh, I think there are, are guys who, who know their roles and, and guys whose personalities really, really fit together. I think, if anything, it's the coaching staff that really takes the, the charge and the lead in getting these guys prepared and, and ready to play every day. And that, and that ties in, again, with, with not having a real true home ballpark. 
Um, these guys, you know, yeah, sure. Sir, some days they, they pitch better than others. Um, this week they've, they've done an excellent outside of last night, uh, done an excellent job pitching. I mean, in Tampa, the way they pitched, um, the offense this week hasn't been there per se. Um, but we still took two of three from Tampa in Tampa, which is never easy to do um, that. Those things like that, that's going to happen. That's baseball. But um, the way that they've got these guys ready to play, the lack of, of mental mistakes um, and um, the way they've played defense uh, successfully, uh, that, that, that shows me the coaching staff is truly doing their job and uh, the guys are buying in. You mentioned the defense. Who really is to that to you on the defensive side? I, I, I think it's everybody. I really do. I, that's such an easy answer. But I mean, Cal Stevenson certainly stands out. I mean, the guy who now has five outfield assists. I think he's in the top three in in, in outfield assists um, in the league. He had another one, actually two last night, and uh, he had one earlier in the week where he gunned down the uh, the tying run at home plate in Tampa. Um, and uh, it was a great throw, uh, one hopping to uh, Kirk behind the plate. So, um, you know, I, I think he st- certainly stands out. Um, you know, Ryan Noda, with his uh, ability to play multiple positions, he's played left, he's played right, he's played first, and he's been successful really at all of them. Um, and I think Kevin Vicuña as well, um, playing at short, playing at second. So, um, you know, we got we have a lot of guys, and I say all of them because we've got guys who are interchangeable at different positions. Uh, I mean, Samad Taylor can play third, he can play second, um, and, and do both successfully. So I think all the guys really uh, – I think if you're looking at this week, Cal Stevenson has stood out defensively with his three outfield assists. But I, I believe that all the guys defensively, collectively as a whole, are, are really doing a nice job. You lost two of your best players. You lost Nate Pearson and you lost Riley Adams up to promotion. Let's talk about the two guys sure. that replaced them. Let's begin with, it was a pretty good debut that you watched from Joey Murray. Yeah, and by the way, it was a pretty good, uh, it's been a pretty good feud game for Alejandro Kirk as well. Um, you know, Jer- <laughs> you know I I'm going to ask said, about him next. Well, I've said this before, and I, I, Tampa is a tough place to play uh, in the Florida State League. I, I don't care how many people are in the park. Um, you know, when those lights turn on at night, it's, a, it's an intimidating place. It's Yankee Stadium of the South. So for our guys to go in there and, and take two or three, it was it – was, I said this on the air. I said uh, the other night, I said, uh, Danin, you know what? Just they have to win tonight and get the heck out of here because it's a tough place to play. And for Joey Murray to, to make his FSL debut um, and pitch as well as he did on that mound, uh, not phased by anything at all, it was pretty impressive, and I'm impressed with his stuff, and I'm looking forward to, to watching and seeing um, more outings from him. Let's talk Alejandro Kirk now. Have you liked Captain Kirk? Sure. Yeah, uh, Captain Kirk, okay. All right, that's a good little uh, game notes uh, tidbit that I'm going to use today for the front page notes and, and success. Um, <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, I've uh, I've enjoyed him. I think, uh, you know, um, He's better behind the plate than than a lot of what a lot of people say um, so far, and um, uh, the guy can hit. I mean, that's that's it sounds so simplistic, right? But the guy can just flat out hit. And uh, um, watching the other night come up with the bases loaded in the the ninth inning and um, just hit a line drive, clearing the bases to win the game. It's been um, it, it's been pretty impressive thus far. 
and um, I can see why he's – it's the bat, really. Um, I've seen a little bit of defense, which I've liked, but it's really the bat, and I can see why he's the 29th-ranked prospect in the, uh, in the entire uh, organization. Jim, before we say goodbye, any final thoughts this week? Well, again, I, I, it's worth saying again that I was very impressed with our, our victory in Tampa, our two victories in Tampa. Um, to pull that off, um, it's not easy, especially when you lose, you know, two of your best players. It's never easy winning there. Um, we had uh, one come from behind win where we were down 3-1, to one, heading into the ninth, came back and won 5-3. Didn't hit much in game two, we lost, but we won one nothing on some spectacular pitching from Graham Spraker, um, and our bullpen shut it down. And Demiur Malloy came up with a big hit in the fourth that gave us the lead in the eventual win. And Cal Stevenson, Ryan Noda, by the way, in that game had an outfield assist as well. Those are some impressive plays, and, and those are two impressive wins that really shows you. I've said this before. I said this to somebody today. Um, you know, sure, our team's 19-13 right now. Um, but we have we have at times this year really have been gritty on the road and been gritty in some of these tough series and we've come away with series wins in win in series that um, could go either way. Um, the, the other team could take two of three. Um, Tampa easily could have taken two of three from us, but we came ahead, we came out ahead winning two of three. That that tells you the character of, of this team thus far through April and, and a little bit into May here, and I'm I'm impressed with with what we've done so far here in the early part of the year, especially this week, taking two of three from Tampa. I love it. Jim, thank you very much. All right, Jesse. Thank you very much. Have a good one. The voice of the first place Dunedin Blue Jays, Jim Tarabokia, at Jim Tara on Twitter. Now we go down the ladder to the single-A Lansing Lugnuts, and let me bring in Adam Jaxa. Adam, how are you? I'm doing great, Jesse. Excited for another day of baseball. We're going to go from one side of the equation to the other side. There's Jim watching his <laughs> DJs basically serve as a road team. And what I'm going to ask you is about facing a team that is a road team. So there's the DJs, and Jim just detailed how difficult it's been for them, but they've been in first. The Lansing Lugnuts just played and were swept by a team that is in first place in the Midwest League's Western Division, the Quad Cities River Bandits, despite the flooding in the Quad Cities, specifically in Davenport, Iowa. They played only three games all year. Uh, your thoughts about the three games that the Lansing Lugnuts were forced to play in Iowa City? Well, first talking about the facility, Jesse, I was really impressed with the University of Iowa's field. It's Dwayne Banks. It's a turf field. It was added three or four years ago that they moved to all turf. And I thought it was a great setup for teams to have to scramble and make sure that they had a spot that they could actually get the series in. Uh, it was an hour west of Davenport where the typical games would have been at Quad Cities. And the field was great. I mean, the last day it rained and we were a little nervous because it was about an hour and a half. And it rained really hard for like 25, 30 minutes. And within the next hour, the puddles that had circulated down the first base side and behind home plate, just kind of soaked in, as you would expect, and that's the purpose of those turf fields. And it was a great three days of baseball. Unfortunately, it was a great three days of baseball for the Quad Cities River Bandits. They really showed that the Houston Astros just have pitching up and down their entire system, and it's continued at the single-A level this year. Three tremendous starters that 
shut down the Lugnuts hitters. Uh, they had just two runs scored in the entire three-game series. It came in the eighth and ninth inning of game one, both one-run half innings. And then the Lugnuts didn't score the rest of the series. They were shut out 6 to nothing on Tuesday and then 6 to nothing on Wednesday. So I was really impressed with Quad City's pitching. They didn't have any hitters that uh, did anything spectacular, but when you have pitching that good and you can get leads, especially against this Lansing team that has shown they haven't been the best comeback team, they've been that team that if they score first, there's a good chance they're going to win that game. But if they get behind, they've struggled, and Quad Cities, with their starting pitching, took leads in all three games and didn't give up the lead the entire series. So was really impressed with Quad Cities. For Lansing, it was a lot about not finding the the big swings when there were runners on base. Uh, That first day, we saw a really good starting effort from uh, Quad Cities number one, Austin Hansen, the 22-year-old right-hander. He struck out the Lugnuts 10 times. But after he got off the mound, I thought that there were hittable pitchers, very good pitchers for Quad Cities, but hittable. And the Lugnuts found ways to get on base, but they couldn't come up with those clutch swings when they needed them. And that uh, ultimately was the reason they couldn't get any runs in. So not the greatest start to the road trip, but I think you tip your cap to the way Quad Cities pitched and played in those three games in Iowa City. The minor leaguer asked me specifically about Quad Cities and their morale, and the weirdness was you and I were hearing in the background all of the negotiations, the discussions going on between Quad Cities and the Great Lakes Loons. And the major league teams, that goes right up to the top, the Dodgers – for the Loons, the Astros for the River Bandits, as they were trying to figure out where and if they could play their three-game series that was looming after the Lugnuts left Iowa City, and suddenly the University of Iowa needed to use its own field to play Michigan State. And in the end, they canceled those games. You and I, we had the in in terms of witnessing everything going down. What a weird situation. Yeah, it was really weird and just kind of gives you a little inkling into what Quad Cities has been dealing with all season long. You mentioned it uh, right at the top here, Jesse. They played only three home games, and Iowa City, I believe, was their fifth home location that they've had this season, and they were looking at playing uh, that series against Great Lakes this weekend at Augustana D3 College. And that would have been the sixth different spot they've played a home game. So despite all of the adversity they've faced of not being able to play in their stadium and having to pack up and kind of be a traveling circus, I mean, they've got everything that you would expect to keep in a clubhouse on the road with them because they can't keep it in their ballpark because they can't get there. Uh, There's a recent story written about maybe they should, uh, you and I discussing, they should be the Quad City River Beavers. There's a family of beavers living in their batting cages at Modern Woodman Park. So it has just been wild what they've gone through off the field. But here they are, 21-10, and 10, leading the entire Midwest League, leading the Midwest League West. And um, unfortunately, they didn't get to play games this weekend because themselves and the Loons and the Dodgers organization couldn't, agree on where they were going to play the games so they just got a extra couple of off days heading into the all-league mothers off day on Sunday and then they'll pick back up after that next Monday but just a wild start to the year for Quad Cities but you'd have no idea with the way they've been playing on the field. Let's talk about the Lansing Lugnuts and questions from Bluebird Banter. Uh, Simple as this 
how has Jordan Groshans looked since coming back off the injured list? And then the follow-up is also Otto Lopez is heating back up again this week. How has he looked offensively? So to your mind, your observations recently on Groshans and Lopez. Yeah, let's start with Jordan Groshans, Jesse. Uh, He came back in the series finale against Quad Cities, hadn't played in nine games. He had to go back to uh, April 28th at Bowling Green when he had last played. So I thought maybe a little bit of rest, or rust, excuse me, and they eased him in just DHing him, and they've DHed him the last couple of nights. So he still hasn't played back at his shortstop position that we've seen him at through the first month of April. But he had two hits in that. Uh, first game against Quad Cities, again, with the way that they had been pitching, I thought that was really good. He did strike out a couple of times. He's been one of the lug nuts that hasn't struck out a ton this season. Um, so he went two for five in that first game. And then last night, he was uh, he was 0 for three, did walk in the first inning, but hit into a double play in that eighth inning when the lug nuts had runners in scoring position. The biggest thing that I've noticed with Jordan Jesse is he's really off on his timing against those secondary pitches. So when he's getting thrown a changeup, any sort of breaking ball, a slider or curve, he has been very far off from making contact with the baseball. So I I think that's all just in terms of he hasn't played for nine, 10 days. You and I have talked about this, but your timing will go away from you when you have to sit down even for seven to 10 days. Um, Fastball contact, he's been good. That's where he got both of his base hits off of. But the secondary stuff has kind of fooled him, and that's why you've seen four strikeouts in the last two games. But I don't think there's anything to worry about with Jordan. Uh, He's still hitting best on the team. I think average right up around 335 right now. And as he continues to get back into the swing of things, into the flow, gets back out on the field, I think you're going to continue to see his numbers be as good as what they have been. And uh, honestly, I was really impressed that he had a a two-hit day in his first game back. So I expect him to be just fine. And he, once he gets back into the field and is is fully comfortable defensively, we're going to see the typical Jordan Groshans. Ferrado Lopez, he's been a a nice surprise back at the top of the order. Again, a lot of this team has been up and down this year where they've been really good, but then they hit a lapse and they're not able to – put the ball in play or they're striking out or what have you. So Otto Lopez kind of dipped here a little bit, but he has come back up. He had a three hit night last night. Um, I think the big thing with Otto Jesse is continuing to work on becoming that complete player. And, and no doubt that's why these guys are at the single a level right now. They're trying to sharpen all of their tools, but uh, boneheaded play last night from Lopez where he just took off trying to steal third when he was at second base and the Lugnuts had a golden opportunity to score in the first inning. Again, talked about it, how they're much better when they get ahead in games. That could have been a key situation. Um, so he's been picked off the most times uh, when he's been trying to steal bases this year on this Lugnut squad. And he's also committed the most errors. So I think those are two parts of Lopez's game that he can continue to work on. I think the hitting is there. The hitting, the athleticism is there. So if he can bring all facets to the game and improve that by the end of the season, I think you're looking at a really talented guy. But, again, he just needs to go through that full season of single-A ball to get to that level. But I think good things are ahead for him. Before I bring in the Zick and we talk New Hampshire, quick lightning question for you. And sum up your thoughts real quick on Cree Finfrock's Midwest League debut? Well, first off, we've talked about this. I love his name. 
second off, we finally had a chance to see him after he was uh, brought to the Lugnuts on Monday. He was excellent, Jesse. Six batters faced. He put them all down, and he had five strikeouts, and he was working all of his pitches from what I could tell, not just a fastball, but utilizing those secondary pitches. Um, it was a nice change of pace because the Lugnuts have been up and down in the bullpen, but him and Jackson Reese out of the pen last night shut down the Cougars. So I really like what he brings to the table and excited to see what he can do as we continue to see him come up through more appearances with the Lugnuts in the future. Adam, thank you very much. You got it, Jesse. Thank you. Thank you. At Adam Jacks on Twitter, J-A-K-S-A. He joins me for Lansing Lugnuts games and, as promised, Let's now go up the ladder to AA New Hampshire and let me bring in the Zick himself, Tyler Zickel. Tyler, how are you? Jesse, I'm well. Greetings from Binghamton, New York, the parlor city, and also the 10th cloudiest and rainiest city in America. So cheers to all that. Do they want to rank higher? Do they want to get better than 10 up to, let's say, 7 or 8? Or would they rather not be anywhere near that list? You know, that's a great question. It depends on what kind of city you want to be. Obviously, if you want to be a baseball city, you hope to be 100th on that list, not 10th. But that said, despite <laughs> the weather in the forecast, the Caps looking to stay hot today at NYSEG Stadium. You too, Zick. Let's talk about your squad, and let's begin with Murph. How was Patrick Murphy's gem yesterday? I'll tell you, Jesse, that was as close to watching big league pitching in double-A New Hampshire that we've seen in a hot minute. To watch him just go after those Sea Dogs batters, retired 19 of 21 face. Uh, there was an error that allowed a runner on. In fact, it was Dustin Pedroia, the big leaguer, who was rehabbing with Portland in the first inning. And then Murph was absolutely lights out. If anybody's on Instagram, head over to the Fisher Cats Instagram or the Fisher Cats Twitter, for that matter, to see a compilation of all seven strikeouts. And you can see what was working so well for Murph yesterday. He was effectively missing his pitches. He was keeping the, keeping the hitters off balance, not just with his stuff, but with his delivery as well. You could see him add a little hitch to his delivery to try and keep those sea dogs off balance, which he did to massive success yesterday. And although there was no shutout for the Cats, Murph certainly with seven one-hit innings. In fact, he didn't give up a hit until the first man in the seventh. So potential history on the line yesterday wasn't going to happen in that regard, but I know Murph is pleased with his first career double-A-W. All right, so you've got Murph throwing the ball like that, and this is after Nate Pearson grabbed all the headlines too. How did you like Big Nate's double-A debut? It was a treat, and not only to get to see him up close and personal in Portland, but just to see him be the pitcher that he's been advertised to be and just go about his business as if it's another day at the office. It was a real, real pleasant to watch him go about his business and uh, make quite the splash. And I'll say this, he was in line for his first double-A win, but unfortunately the bullpen couldn't pick him up uh, a couple days ago. But with that said, looking for a lot more of what we saw from Nate, which was getting ahead of opposing batters, not working too deep into counts. And of course, he's going to strike out a lot of guys as well, had eight punchies two days ago. So for Nate, great start and of course a long career ahead of him both at higher levels and here in New Hampshire hoping to finish strong whether it's for a couple of months or for the rest of the season well that was a question on Bluebird Banter as a matter of fact is does Nate Pearson spend the rest of the season in New Hampshire do you have any expectations you know I've learned Jesse in this business that expectation is the mother of disappointment but that said uh, I think that Nate definitely has his sights set on upper levels this year. 
But I know the Blue Jays are in no hurry to push him along. He's on a strict pitch limit here in New Hampshire after his promotion from Advanced State Dunedin. So they're just going to let Nate be Nate. And I think that, uh, you know, I don't want to get too woo-woo here on Around the Nest, but the universe certainly will take care of Nate Pearson. One of my favorite things about reading the Fisher Cat social media and just going to the website is just how much fun the headlines are for the game recaps. There's so much joy to be had. What is your favorite headline that you've ever come up with? Oh, man. You know, I started my baseball career out in the California League with the Lake Elsinore Storm, and they were known for all sorts of zany antics. So that's where I kind of got my feet wet in terms of uh, trying to have some fun and spice up what is normally a routine recap. Uh, for me, I talked about, and unfortunately, I don't like uh, making up headlines when the Fisher Cats lose, but for me, the other night, Pedroia Dahlbeck helped dogs skin cats. A little graphic, but at the same time, uh, just to go off the top of my head, that was a favorite of late. Uh, you also just celebrated Copa de la Diversión this past weekend, just like the Lansing Lugnas did. We were the Locos. You were Los Gatos Feroces. How did you enjoy it? We had a great time, Jesse. It was the first time we had done anything like that, of course, uh, similar to Lansing as well. And to be able to essentially transform our, bar, our ballpark into El Estadio de Gatos Feroces, if you will, we our whole staff went all out to do the best they can to, you know, put on a great show. Art Romero is our diversity outreach coordinator. He's a fellow Californian and San Diegan like myself. He moved out here a couple of weeks ago to spearhead the initiative, and he did a fantastic job reaching out to the community, not just in New Hampshire, but also down in Boston as well. We had some participation from those communities in Boston coming up about an hour to join us. Uh, all sorts of fun. And although the Gatos got the loss in extra innings, it was great to see Hector Perez have a great outing, and he's also on the hill tonight here in Binghamton. So for Hector, last time out on Gatos Ferozas night, five days ago coming to today, certainly looking to maybe capture some of that Gatos Ferozas intensity that he had the other night in New Hampshire and bring it to Binghamton today. Fierce. Speaking with Tyler Zickel. Tyler, any final lingering thoughts from this past week's worth of action? I'll say this. Yesterday was certainly a great feast after a serious stretch of some anemic offense for the Cats. They had scored eight, excuse me, they had scored one run in eight of their previous 12 until yesterday's 11 run, 12 hit romp over the Sea Dogs. So I'm certainly hoping that yesterday galvanizes this offense that, much like Lansing, has been a little up and down. There have been some hot stretches and unfortunately some more cold stretches, as evidenced by the fact that the Cats are 14 and 18 as of now and six and a half games back of first place Binghamton, their opponent tonight. But if these bats can wake up, I'm certainly looking forward to the next month plus because there are some serious signs of potential. And that includes the fact that Kevin Smith is in a bit of a slump right now. So when Kevin gets going at the center of the lineup, there is no limit to what this Fisher Cats offense can do. All right, Tyler Zickel. You can find him at Tyler underscore Zickel. That's how you can check in and find the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Zick, very much appreciated. Thanks as always, Jesse. Cheers to the Nats. Cheers to the Blue Jays and everybody in the system. All right, great. And from the Zick, we move our way up the ladder, up to AAA Buffalo. Let me bring in Pat Malacaro, the voice of the herd. Pat, how are you? Well, Jesse, it's a beautiful day here in Hampton Roads in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, we've had a lot of sunshine and upper 70s, even 80s weather the last couple of days, so life is good here with the herd. Let me begin with a great start, just speaking with Tyler Zickel and the great starts that he's been seeing from Patrick Murphy, Nate Pearson. How good was Sean Morimondo? 
he was very good, and he's been better than maybe his numbers overall look this year. If you just look at the numbers, uh, a one and two record, the ERA isn't great. I really don't think that tells the story of how he's pitched. He's really reinvented himself and maybe saved himself from going to the bullpen uh, by pitching well his last couple of starts. He's a guy who last year was cut by the Indians organization, uh, really looking for a home when he was still injured with a, a nerve problem in his throwing arm. Really didn't feel like he really felt himself until about his final start of the year at the end of August, beginning September. So coming back this year, this was a year for him to prove that last year was just basically an injured, wasted year. And the last two starts, he's had a lot of good sync, a lot of cut on his fastball, mixing his pitch as well. He's going to get hit. I mean, there's no doubt about it because he's going to have to throw the ball in the strike zone to get guys out at 92, 93 on his fastball. But with that, the good defense behind him has picked him up and he's been doing exactly what he's been needed to do here at AAA, and he's pitched very well, uh, despite maybe the ERA might suggest. That's the fun part of it, is checking in with you. We don't have to just be box score scouts or something like that. We can say, Pat, what are you actually seeing? Just checking in with the box scores, though, (laughs) it does seem (laughs) like you are getting consistent productivity out of Kevin Biggio. I might just keep on asking you about Kevin all the time because it feels like when you need offense, turn to Kevin. Well, I mean, when you are on base in 17 straight games and draw a walk, at least one walk in 11 straight, yeah, he's been providing a lot of consistency for this Bisons team, and it allowed other guys to maybe find their way. And I'll add in a guy like Jonathan Davis, who is reportedly – uh, going to be added to the big league roster for the Blue Jays today um, in Toronto. So uh, having a guy like him back at the top of the order and uh, with his efforts, with Kevin not really looking like a triple-A rookie this year, um, it has provided a lot of steadying force for the Bison's offense. And, you know, I was looking at Norfolk has had some very good offensive performances this year. And I think Kevin is kind of getting overlooked by the International League uh, in terms of, you know, if you just go by who's been the hitter of the week or – or why certain guys have been uh, the hitter of the week to this point. I think Kevin has quietly put up uh, a very good six weeks now with the Bisons and certainly has deserved to be uh, a hitter of the week, even uh, consideration for player of the month with the way he's played. And I'm sure he'll get that honor soon. I'm sure it's something that uh, he'll probably just scoff off and, and take it as, as it comes and continue to do his thing. But uh, I think he's been one of those guys that has gone under the radar, and the effort he's put in um, has not gotten maybe the praise from the league overall that, that it probably deserves. I'm glad that you brought up Jonathan Davis with the report that he's going right back up to Toronto. Once again, Davis looks like he's been great. Uh, he's healthy now. He spent the start of the season on the injured list. What have you seen from him? Yeah, it was a freak injury that happened when he was just playing catch, landed on a bat and rolled his ankle. Um, and really, he he was playing well. He had uh, 15 hits or 16 hits in 15 games or 15 hits in 16 games. I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, he was very good at the top of the order, provided some speed. Yesterday, he had a leadoff home run that really set the tone against Tuki Toussaint, who's one of the top pitching prospects for Atlanta, and didn't look like himself. It looked like he was pitching scared yesterday, and maybe that was due to the fact that Davis took him deep to a, in a very deep ballpark to left center field 
So he provided a, a nice spark at the top of the order. And then if you add that to guys like Kevin in the middle of the card or someone like Roman Fields, who is back for a third straight year, really full time with the Bisons, um, then you've got guys at the top and the bottom of the order that can get on base, move themselves over. Maybe it's a walk that turns into a double or even a triple with a stolen base or a wild pitch pass ball. So those guys are very valuable. And he provided, I don't think it's any coincidence, you get the consistency of Kevin in the middle of the order. You get a spark like Jonathan Davis at the top of the card to set the table. Biggio has 22 RBIs. Lourdes Gordiel Jr., since coming down from Toronto, now has 22 RBIs. So they've set the table for the middle of the card to drive in runners, and that's been a reason for the success lately for the Bisons. About the third-year Roman Fields, what have you seen to him this year compared to the last two? Well, I don't think there's any doubt that he caught pitchers and teams off guard in 2017. Last year was not a step back, but the league caught up to him. This year, he's just gone out and and played the same way. And um, he gets recognized for his speed in the outfield. The Bisons at times can have two or three center fielders in the outfield with guys like Anthony Alford out there as well. Um, He has three stolen bases this year, and something to keep an eye on is he's closing in on uh, Dave Roberts who was the, is the Bison's all-time uh, in the modern era since 1985 steals leader. He's within 30 of that. So uh, he has three this year in five tries. Uh, we saw last year that pitchers really had the scouting report on Roman, and stolen bases were harder to come by. So I don't know if he gets there this year uh, to, to the singles or the career uh, record here in Buffalo, but he's going to come pretty close uh, to, to 90 stolen bases by the time he's done. And, and it'll be pretty interesting by the end of the season where he ends up. Pat, any final thoughts before we say goodbye for another week? Well, I've been excited to see. I know you talked to Tyler Zickel a moment ago, and uh, some of the guys that have come up from AA have been very nice additions to this team. Even a guy like Francisco Rios, um, who joined the Bisons out of the bullpen. Taylor Saucedo, who has been a starter over his career, went to the bullpen this year, is in the Bisons' rotation right now. So uh, for the Bisons to already have a majority of last year's roster for New Hampshire and uh, a lot of those pieces coming up already this year, uh, it's been a really interesting couple of weeks for the Bisons, but they've been able to tread water and even do better than that uh, against some of the teams in the league like Pawtucket and the Yankees uh, AAA team, Scranton-Wilkesbury, who have had a lot of their players called up to the big leagues Uh, The Bison's taking advantage of that, and I'm looking forward to a a fun series this weekend uh, against the Orioles' top affiliate, who has a couple top ten prospects, including tonight Keegan Aiken on the mound. I'm glad you brought up Saucy. Before I say goodbye, we have to talk about Taylor Saucedo's debuting with five scoreless innings. How saucy were you feeling? (laughs) Not knowing how to feel. Uh, originally, you know, you never know how some of these play- pitchers are going to perform. And at 25 years of age, he's, you know, a little bit older. So uh, a guy that a little bit older can, can have his way with some of these uh, hitters here. And he has proved himself to acclimate nicely to AAA. So I've been very excited to see him on the mound. We'll see him tomorrow in another spot start capacity for Buffalo. So uh, it'll be fun. And I'm look forward to, looking forward to seeing him. Uh, get a second start because uh, he was very good in his first one, and uh, that was something much needed for a Bison team that its rotation is constantly in flux right now. It's all about that special sauce. Pat, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Jesse. Talk to you next week.
From Hampton Roads, Pat Malacaro, voice of the herd, the Buffalo Bisons. You can find him on Twitter at patwgrbisons.com. I'm Jesse Goldberg Strassler. This is Around the Nest, Jay talking away around the Toronto Blue Jays minor league organization. So as you heard, the Lansing Lugnuts are on the road. We're right now in King County. You heard from Adam Jacks earlier, and thank goodness the Lugnuts broke our long scoreless drought, 22 innings, Nick Podkul stealing home. And you know that I love to give you conversations to round out each show with. Well, for this Lugnuts team, that steal of home yesterday by Podkul was made a uh, – the reason why it happened was because Ryan Gold, the catcher, stole second base. Gold took off for second, the throw went down, and then here comes Podkul and Ryan Gold, not exactly a speed merchant. The man with the golden cycle earlier this year, the single, the, the, the uh, double, the triple, the grand slam. I didn't ask him about that golden cycle, but I certainly asked him about a lot of things, including about this Lugnuts pitching core, because who better to ask than the catcher? So here is a conversation with Ryan Gold. This is Jesse Goldberg Strassler, joined by Lansing Lugnuts catcher, first baseman, DH, middle of the order bat, Ryan Gold, in your second year in the Midwest League. How do you feel more comfortable compared to last year? You know, just being uh, being here last year kind of helped me, uh, you know, settle in. And this year coming back, it was just comfortable. So, you know, just uh, just having that feeling is a lot easier to come to the ballpark every day, like kind of knowing what's going to happen what to do and you know just go about your day was there something that you would have liked someone to have told you last year that you've been telling your teammates this year yeah kind of just you know be yourself uh have fun with it because it's a long season you know it's 140 something games it's a it's a grind everybody says it's a grind but you know if you come to work every day and you know you just have a bad attitude or just a not a good mentality about you know doing the work that you have to do it's just going to make it even worse and if you have fun with it and you know go about your day with a good attitude then you know the 140 games is the easy part so and then you know it's pretty much what i've been telling everybody is just have fun be yourself you know let it take care of it everything's going to take care of itself so. is is that grind the biggest challenge of the summer yeah, uh, it definitely is one of them, the biggest challenges. But, uh, you know, that's just part of baseball. You're going to be doing that your, the rest of your career. You know, 162, you're going to add 20 more games. So, you know, that's the easiest part about baseball. The hardest part is, you know, pretty much just keeping a cool mind, like cool, calm head the whole entire season. You know, even if you start bad or you start really hot and then you slump or whatever, you know, ups and downs are going to happen. So, it's that's pretty that's what the hardest part for me is is just you know staying calm and being at the same level pretty much every single day when I come to the ballpark when last year did you really start to feel the grind mm, probably August I mean even though I didn't start the season here I was still an extended you know I was playing every day so it wasn't like I was you know not playing baseball and then showed up here I was I was pretty tired you know we do a lot there still uh, it's more practice than playing games, but, you know, when you get here, it's it's pretty much, you know, get to the field, do your BP, and then you get to the game kind of thing. So it was a little bit of a break at first, and then the games start catching up and then how much you play, and then, you know, the it's, I mean, it's pretty much even wherever you go. You know, college guys come in, they, they come in from a 60-game season, and then they go right into another 60-game season, so it's like they're playing 120 games, so... 
it's it's tough, but you, you got to love it, you know. You have to love the ba- you have to love baseball to want to do and play that many games. Do you have a different pregame routine at all this year compared to last year? Um, probably. I don't think so. I think I'm. It's easy once you find a good routine to stick with it and then keep it going. And last year, uh, everybody helped me get a really good routine, and I kind of kept it going through spring training, and then it, it developed even more and. You know, I think I have a really good routine now as to, like, what I need to do every single day, you know, just to get the body prepared and, you know, my baseball mind prepared to play. And coming to the game knowing that you're going to be playing that day is a lot easier than, you know, showing up and not knowing if you're in the lineup or not. So it's all about mentality, honestly. At what point did you find out, hey, first base two this year? Uh, spring training. I played there a couple games. Uh, Dallas was talking to me about like I was going to be coming back here. Uh, so I asked him, uh, and he was like, you're going to be playing first. So he, I asked if I could play some more first base because I didn't really play a lot during spring training. I was just catching. So I asked him if I could play like three or four games before we left, and he did. I got a couple of games in. and coming like I played first last year, too, a couple of games. So it was you know, comfortable. I was comfortable there, so it wasn't out of the normal, I guess. About the pitchers on this team, because you know them better than us. Yeah. Who as a batter would you not want to face? That's tough, because we got a lot of pitchers on this team that I wouldn't want to face. But, uh, you know, I, I've i caught all of them. I'd, I would have to say right now it would probably be either Rack or... Uh, oof. There's so many. I don't even know. Rack comes to mind first. That's a tough one. Reese is tough, too. They both got really good stuff down in the bullpen. And, you know, Wink so far has a good season going for him. So he's a tough at-bat pretty much every single time you step up to the plate. So don't get me wrong. Everybody's really tough. I mean, our pitching staff is awesome. So I love catching them. It's so much fun. So, uh, yeah, I think those three guys, honestly, for me, would be the toughest ones that I wouldn't want to face personally. About Jackson Reese, because not a lot of people knew about him, and now the season he's going on, why is he so tough to hit? Well, I didn't know him last year. I heard that he he was not like he is now, but, you know, everybody makes improvements. Some, sometimes it's little things, sometimes it's major mm-hmm. improvements. But, you know, I heard that he dropped his arm slot a little bit, his ball's sinking a little more, has a lot more depth to all of his pitches, and that slider is just filthy. So... You know, he's he's starting to figure himself out, which is what you guys are seeing right now, and it's really fun to watch him pitch when I'm not catching. But hopefully tonight we get to see him again in the ninth for sure. Who shakes you off the most and who shakes you off the least? Uh, honestly, like, I don't think a lot of people really shake me off. I mean, it's we I, I know them pretty well to where I, I know what they want to throw in certain counts. And, you know, if if they do shake me off, it's like maybe four or five times a game. But... Uh, I think I got a really good relationship with pretty much everybody on the team. You know, new guys come up, new guys come up. That's probably who would. But, you know, it's just the learning process of knowing who you have on the mound and what you need to do when they're on the mound. And so far, so good this year. I think I've I've learned pretty much everybody, which is great. You as a catcher, you have to get yeah. to know the new guys. So let's say a Cree Finfrock joins us. How familiar are you with him? I actually have never caught him before, but I've asked... Uh, Danner, who was with him in Bluefield last year, and Tony, and uh, said that he has a good fastball, like 92-94, with a pretty decent slider. So we'll see that probably tonight. He'll probably pitch. But, uh, 
you know, just like guys like that, you kind of have to like take a deep breath. If you never caught him before, you can't be too anxious. To you just got to watch the ball come in and see what it does. It's something that I've learned because I've moved up and down a lot. So, you know, I'd, I've had to deal with new pitching staffs or you know just new people in general all the time. I'm talking to Ken Huckabee in charge of all the catchers. He says it just takes such time to learn and grow as a catcher. How are you growing defensively right now? Uh, defensively, a lot. Uh, I've worked, you know, at very, very hard at my, you know, just stances. It's crazy to think that just like a stance can help you out, but you always like play around with that, see if you can helps you receive better, you know, get certain pitches to look a lot better. And then blocking's huge, obviously. So, you know, whatever stance you feel quicker in or whatever you don't feel good in, like, you got to know those things and you got to, like, just ride it out until it doesn't feel good anymore. And then when it when it stops feeling good, you got to tinker with it a little bit more. And then it's like a – it's an ongoing thing throughout your whole career. It's just like a swing, you know. It's not going to feel good every day or it's not working. you got to change it just a tiny bit. You don't want to make drastic changes. So, uh, like, yeah, Huck's right. It's – tough but uh, if you just stick with it and trust the process then you know you'll start seeing results for sure. Do you have multiple stances? Uh, yeah I, I don't know if you noticed last game but I would drop to one knee uh, when there was nobody on base or if it was just like a you know just like a leadoff guy or pretty much I dropped to one knee helped me got uh, a lot of calls down low last last game and I'll probably do that again tonight, so we'll see how that works. And uh, with guys on, I'll be in I'll be in a secondary stance like normal. But I pretty much have three stances that I would go to. Yeah. Ryan Gold, thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. And that takes us to the end of another Around the Nest. Jay talking our way around the Blue Jays minor league organization. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Around Nest. Huge thanks to the minor leaguer. Huge thanks to Hayden Godfrey. Huge thanks to Bluebird Banter as well. For Adam Jackson, Jim Tarabokia, Tyler Zickel, and Pat Malacaro, I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler. Thank you very much. Send in your questions, send in your comments. You know how to contact us. We try to give you the Twitter handles. on that Jay Goldstrass. You can also find me, email me. It's all readily available. We love letting you know exactly what's going on around the affiliations. But until next week, for now, enjoy the baseball. <laughs>